0: Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, the brand worn by John McEnroe, Vitas Carolitis, Novak Djokovic, and Gabriella Sabatini. Check them out at sergiotacchini.com. Use the code SHAP30 in all caps to receive 30% off of your order. We have a very special show for you today. He grew up in Delaware, played football and baseball, and studied creative writing at Johns Hopkins University. He is a professional screenwriter and in 2017 embarked on a journey to write a script chronicling the incredible saga of the Williams family. And just a couple days ago, King Richard was nominated for six Oscars, including Best Screenplay. The screenwriter, Zach Balin, is today's guest. So hang on a second. So you're nominated for one Oscar, but you're up for two. I don't, I don't think I get... If if the movie were to win for best picture,
1: that the uh, the producers get that award. Oh, so that would be Tim and Trevor White, and then Will Smith.
0: And you, you, but you'll go up on stage with the whole group.
1: I don't know. I don't know who gets invited up on that stage. I, I think I think they have to be like, come on up, come on up.
0: For our listeners, you know, the goal and the aim of this show is to talk to the most interesting people in the sport, and this gentleman you hear just became one of the most interesting people in the sport. It's an incredible story. Uh, we're gonna get it all right now. And we have a personal connection, which you know, I've known about this project for quite some time. So it's just a thrill to be here. This uh, Oscar nominated screenwriter of King Richard, the, the never had been told story before of Richard Williams and the journey he took to bring Venus and Serena to pro tennis into prominence. And that is Zach Balin, my man. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I think that's the, that's the first time I've heard Oscar nominated before, you know, before my name. It's pretty-
0: No hang on. Now, listen, as you know, we do a five set format. The first set is the off the court report. How did you learn that you were nominated for best screenplay? This was yesterday.
1: This was yesterday morning. Um, my wife, Kate, who you know very well, You know, we got up at five or whatever. we set the alarm and we sat at our kitchen table and turned on the the broadcast and, you know, just closed our eyes and waited till they said it. And it was very and then we started screaming and woke the kids up upstairs and it was it was pretty awesome. Closed your eyes. You don't want to like overly hope. For those things, you don't you don't really I had no real expectation of what would happen. It was you know I knew I was kind of an outlier in that the other people who were nominated in in, in that category or at least like you know were were being buzzed about are huge auteurs um, you know like the like PTA and and Aaron Sorkin and you know people who have really long legendary careers that I super respect and look up to so. I didn't have a ton of confidence going in that I was, was going to end up on the, on the list.
0: Well, listen, man, I mean, when I heard that news, we were just, I mean, there have been so few films that have even been watchable in tennis. And then all of a sudden the Billie Jean King movie was quite good. And then that Borg McEnroe film I thought was pretty good. And then I was so over the moon to see what great justice you did to, this, to the story it's just such a thrill. Well, I mean we had real, you know, I think just on the tennis
1: side of things that there was that the movie was made by people who really
0: love the sport and really know it. So 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 you get the nomination, you you wake up the kids did I mean did, have you talked to Will Smith? Have you been on the phone with who what what's happened in that moment in time? It's about 24 hours now since you've been in this play? Like what, what's going on since then?
1: I mean, immediately, you know, we were just, we were texting the filmmaking team that the first nomination that was announced was, I think was supporting actress and Anjanou Ellis, who plays Orsine, um, the Venus and Serena's mother in the movie was nominated. And so that was the first, first text sent was to Anjanu just to say congrats. Cause you know, I thought she killed it and and then we were, you know, I was on a text chain with all the producers and as we were waiting for all those names to come in and, yeah, text, texting Will, texting Ray, the director, you know, just the whole day has just been, was just
0: contacting everyone I've ever met. Have you, have you been in touch with Venus and Serena since the nomination? I haven't
1: spoken to the two of them, but, you know, I'm in touch. I, I became pretty close with Isha, who's their, one of their sisters, who's a producer on the movie. And so we've been in touch
0: Let's move into the second set. This is normally the on-the-court report, but we're just going to talk about the film. You know, I know this has been asked and answered many times, but to tell us about the uh, beginnings of, of King Richard, how this came to be.
1: Yeah. So the movie really began with this producer, Tim White. You know, Him he, he and his brother have this company called Star Thrower, and they, had made, they made The Post that Spielberg movie um, about the Pentagon Papers and Ingrid Goes West, and they've been involved in some really cool stuff. But Tim was a elite junior tennis player. Tim White played college tennis. Tim White played at Williams, I believe. I believe he played at Williams. I think they won the NCAA tournament a couple of times when he was there.
0: I, I've been told that he's a very good player. Uh, if you're playing D1 college tennis, that's the real thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I think... I'll get all Tim's stats wrong, but, you know, I think he was a top 50 junior in the country and played, you know, Orange Bowl, all all the, you know, a lot of those tournaments of Venus and Serena were around. And he was, you know, in the, in around the same era. So Tim had been, had wanted to make a movie about Venus and Serena and Richard for a long time. And had been trying to figure out, you know, both how to get in touch with the family to do it, but also what the, you know, what the angle into the movie was. And and I met with Tim about a different project in New York. I was living in New York at the time. And it just, in a very fortuitous situation, it was the week of, you know, it was the two weeks of the, of the I think it was the 2017 U.S. Open. And I, you know, I'm a big tennis fan. So I, I go every year and I was leaving the meeting and going to the U.S. Open. And I told him, and he was like, oh, well, if you're, you're a tennis fan. Like you should hold on a sec. Cause I have, I have this other movie I've been trying to make for a long time. And so he, you know, he started talking about Richard and, and, you know, this image of, it was an iconic, iconic footage we, we couldn't actually get in the movie, but that at the Lipton open this one year when Venus and Serena played each other, I don't know if it was the first time they played each other in a final, Richard had this sign that, you know, you used to take these like um, whiteboard signs to the to the tournaments and would write stuff on but well,
0: what you by the way what you're saying is giving me the chills because I was there when you know I I had a front row seat for a lot of this as you're talking about you know 1997 1998 when those Williams sisters came on the scene there was nothing like it boy 1999 and sorry continue no, yeah, I mean, it was so excited. But Richard, you know, there was a, there was a video of
1: Richard, Richard had one of these signs that he was holding in the stands that said, I told you so. And I think both of us were like, if you know, if you can, if you can tell a story that leads to that moment and earns that moment, then it could be really powerful. And it could really, you know, it's obviously Richard is a very complicated figure, but if nothing else, you know, it really was probably one of the greatest coaching stories in the sports u s open two thousand seventeen it it starts basically started then, and I told them you know I think they've been talking to other writers, and I basically told them like give me give me a weekend, let me figure out if I can put my hat in this in the ring for this and you know I went off and I just read everything that I could about about richard and and Venus and Serena, you know everyone wrote a book that like touched them in those years. And so I had a lot of contemporaneous reporting that I, that I got into and, and, you know, and found like the core of this story pretty quick about where I thought, where I thought the movie could be centered. And I read about that Vicario match and that felt like just the perfect place for the movie to, to be leading to.
0: Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Kings and Queens, this show is a, is just a full blown spoiler alert. So, if you haven't seen the film, the film bookends on Venus's first tournament. And, um, she essentially gets a medical time out at bathroom break to death. She was winning the match and she got iced by Arantxa Sanchez Vicario mm-hmm. and, and, and ultimately loses the match. But that's how you, it's a cl- very clever way of telling the story. Um, You've said in other interviews that you did not want to just become a, a highlight reel.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it was never interesting to me to try and, you know, tell a story where it was just like about their accomplishments later on or trying to recreate moments that, you know, we had all seen on Sports Center you know, really felt like it was gonna be a sports movie, but it was also gonna be a, you know, a character drama, character study and a a look at at this family and it needed to be it needed to exist in the moments that you know we we didn't see we didn't know and that's what we focused on
0: will smith how does this thing happen
1: ah man that was crazy so you know i so after i got the gen-
0: hold on uh, sorry uh is is it family before will or will before
1: family it was before family but basically with the caveat that you know he would. He would sign on if the family, if we got the family's blessing. So I, after I met Tim, I convinced them to let me like, be the writer. I I wrote the movie, and then, you know, then it go like, it go what it goes out to my agency. You know, I'm I'm repped at CAA, and and then you know the script began circulating with within there, and very quickly we, me and the producers got a call that, you know, Will's team had read it and thought it could be good for him and. And he read it and it happened really fast. And it, and I, I I'd never had a movie made. Like I certainly had never had access to someone like Will. And when someone like that comes on board, people start to take it seriously. Pretty quickly.
0: Will comes on board. Now, did you, did, did you have a conversation with him or he simply reads the script and says, I'm in now you got to go get this, the Williams family to sign off. Yeah, essentially I didn't meet him until much
1: later okay. that. You know he was in contact with the producers and yeah if you know that it was a role that he was really excited about and if we could get the family to you know at that point it was not about necessarily having them involved in a creative capacity but just knowing that they were going to be supportive and 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 i knew i needed to interview him too because there was a lot of you know richard obviously was really forward-facing there was a lot of stuff about richard that I could get my hands on, not as much about orcine, and so I really needed to sit down and talk to her.
0: 2018, you you lock in a meeting with Isha Price.
1: Yeah, essentially. So we, Tim, the producer, and I went to the U.S. Open. It was, I mean, it was it was cool. It kind of bookended this whole thing, but we went to the U.S. Open in 2018 and and got a meeting with Isha. I think it was like. Venus and Serena were playing. They were in that tournament. I Remember, they were they were playing on the same day, so I think they both played that opening that opening day. And then we met with Isha for our listeners. Isha Price, uh, the sister of Venus and Serena. That's right, and she Isha also works as a, like a you know she's the lawyer, but she also works at, you know as, as a kind of manager for the for some of their um, other like ancillary things. And so we met with her on Tuesday after. You know, Venus and Serena played, and she agreed to read the script. And so she read the script that night, and we, you know, it was a very nervous evening of waiting to see if one of you'd even get back to us or what her response would be. But you know, we got a call the next day or the day after. I can't remember. And she said, like, you know, the script is good. We like it. If you if you're willing to like to sit and do some interviews with us and hear some other stories. We'd like to be a part of it, so then had we had this pretty incredible experience that <clears throat> that two thousand and eighteen u s open was the open where Serena eventually played Osaka in the finals, and uh, you know the record was on the line and and so leading every off day that they had leading up to the to those finals, I sat with with Isha and their mother and and Venus was calling in and giving and we went through the script and you know I heard their stories and got notes and and then by the end of the tournament they said okay let's we're gonna, we're going to do this movie and they and I went to the I got invited and I went to the finals with them and just hearing this is
0: incredible it was unbelievable i cut you off um, you get to the back end of the tournament they've given you the green light. Did you speak to Serena during the tournament?
1: I didn't speak to her during the tournament. I didn't speak to Serena until much later, but you know, we spoke to spoke to Venus and spoke to Isha and spoke to, you know, we met at all these different hotels around, you know, <laughs> Manhattan, like while they were bouncing around. And you might know there's this incredible, I got the funnest part of all this for me. I was like, I'm a huge tennis nerd and like, and we took a bunch of meetings at this tennis club in Midtown Manhattan. That I can't remember the name of it, but it's like, it's like you go into an apartment building and then you go underground. You in,
0: went to the River Club.
1: The River Club. It, it was the River Club, and yeah. there's you know four like beautiful courts in the back of this place. It's the you know it's all tennis memorabilia, and we're in this meeting, and Jimmy Connors was like having lunch behind us, and at that point I was like, holy shit, I can't believe this is this is happening. And then yeah, then by the end of that week, the end of those two weeks, they said let's do it, and they. Gave Tim and I tickets to the finals, and we sat in the family box and like and watched that match, which was you know obviously that was a crazy sporting event, and never seen anything like it.
0: So, question for you: What did you have super wrong? What got corrected by the by uh, Venus or or a scene that you maybe had had it wrong?
1: Mostly just scene, You know,
0: I think mm-hmm. the way that I had
1: ridden her, the the voice of her character, the in some ways like her role in the family, you know, I I think I w- I was inventing a lot and and she's a very particular person. She's very different than Richard Richard was so in and really saw his role both as being coach but you know, being he was the publicist for the girls in the family and really You know, when he pulled them out of junior tennis, that became even more important because he was continuing to he had to keep stoking the flames of this whole thing, even though they weren't playing. And Orsene was was is very private, was very, like, soft spoken. Um, But when she, you know, even when we met, when I met with her and spent time with her, like when she speaks, when she has something to say, she says it very directly and very forcefully. And, you know, that she's, you know, she's a force to be
0: reckoned with. I think that it was very surprising to many of us when we saw that she was training Serena. I don't think any of us realized that she actually was on the court. Paul Cohen was working with Venus, but he'd only take one sister. And essentially, Oracine takes Serena and grinds her out while Venus is practicing with Paul Cohen. And for our listeners, Paul Cohen is a very famous guy in tennis. Paul Cohen is one of these inside guys that he's an inside LA guy. I think he might've played at UCLA. I can't remember where he
1: played, but yeah, he was, Paul was a great player and Paul, you know, Paul was coaching McEnroe and then was also coaching. I mean, this is in the movie, but you know, was also beginning to coach Sampras and, it Paul was, Cohen
0: worked with pretty much every player. I mean, Chuck yeah. Adams worked with a lot of people. Paul Cohen is one of these guys that got that was, but it was it was Oracine, who was working with Serena, and I don't think anybody knew that.
1: Yeah, I think that was a big revelation for us too. And and that was, I think, if anything they said this needs to be in the movie. It was just how um, integral Oracine was as a as a coach, not just as a you know as a as a mother and doing all the other things that she had to do to, to raise that family but um i mean that's what's so incredible about neither her nor richard had ever played tennis before you know and so richard taught himself to play tennis after he had this idea that that he was going to conceive of two more daughters to be tennis champions then he was like oh yeah well i, I gotta teach myself to play so i can teach them and he and he started just showing up at courts around LA and learning. And he started getting, you know, VHS tapes in the mail and watching tapes to learn, which it, and then he taught Orosine. and the fact that that worked, you know, even to get them to up to the bar where he could bring them to someone like Paul Cohen and, and that Paul could see that they had, you know, enough, obviously they were incredibly athletic, incredibly talented, but, You still have to have the fundamentals at that age to to be able,
0: because if you're screwed up at that age, it's already, you're already so far behind the eight ball. Listen, when the movie came out and I talked to Renee Stubbs very significantly, and we were in agreement that the story at its baseline, at its core, is is in the argument for the greatest story in the history of sports. That the guy from Compton, California, that has no tennis background, brings his two kids to tennis prominence to become the greatest players in the history of the sport to in a white dominated sport is just totally unbelievable great uh, you yeah. know it's easy to sort of dismiss it but when you actually put your head down on it and the film I think does it so well it it shows just how improbable it was Um, uh, you know Vic Braden saying listen man I, he And I even said to Rick Macy, you know, I had Rick Macy on my show, and I said, Rick, I said, you know, I watched the videos from back then, and they don't look that good. And he said to me, he said, you know, you're right, they don't look that good, but when they competed, you could see that they had a different quality. And that's why I thought that they could be great players. But there's so many little nooks and crannies in the script and the film, it's just it's really like Tom Clancy-esque in how you really did a uncovering of the of the story, right? How you really did a forensic breakdown of how it went down. And, you know, the devil is really in the details.
1: Well, I think, thank
0: you. I, I mean, I think
1: back to the fact that you, you were saying before about the tennis veracity in the movie and that it was really made by people who really love tennis. and really wanted to those things to be accurate for, you know, we didn't want the, the real tennis community to watch it and call BS on anything. And um, so, you know, down to the
0: specificity of like the rackets that Venus Serena played with. Hey man, Capriati's racket is the racket, man. And the pink grip on Capriati's racket is the racket. I mean, I, yeah, there's the Arancha Sanchez Vicario, looks exactly like racha sanchez vicario down to the ball clip on the back of the reebok outfit i mean the whole thing is money in the bank
1: it's so great thank i'm i'm so glad to hear like you noticed that stuff and yeah and the the woman who played capriati in the movie is a like great player out here in in la and she she grew up and had modeled her game after capriati so like her you know her strokes and everything she was able to step in and really knew like you know how Capriati held her forehand and all those things that make a you know the casual viewer maybe doesn't care but it if, if we went back to this whole thing that like the story is so incredible it's so it's frankly it's like pretty it's unbelievable and if we fudged any of those other details or we got those things wrong it would dilute the i think the like f- fantasy of what they actually went through so
0: did the kitchen conversation between richard and Oracine really happen or was that a a setup that that scene really lays out the warts right yeah, it really right. lays out the you know some of richard's philandering it, it lays out that there's tension mm-hmm. and that he's terrified of failing did that scene happen did Oracine break that down to you essentially i mean it, you know it didn't happen in that kitchen it didn't happen
1: sure. like Exactly at the moment in the movie in their trajectory that that I put it in the movie, but he had children from a previous relationship before um, before he had gotten together with Orsini. Yeah, so that was always in the script. In a, it was the scene was in different places in the, within the movie. And when during those first weeks of the U.S. Open, when I met with her, she read it and was like, "Oh, you're going to put this in the movie." And you know, we said, we, "I think we we ha- has to be in there because it's a I, one I think it was a real part of Richard's character you know I mean he I, he messed up a lot of things in his in his past before this this relationship and I think I always felt like that a, a big part of his dedication to Venus and Serena probably s- stemmed from you know maybe some inadequacies that he had in his as a parent before and and then also it was just it we needed to address it and so to Orisine's credit she said well like okay, if this is going to be in there, let me tell you how it actually happened. And she told me that's that story about, like, you know, some kid came and knocked on the door, and he had a red Nissan truck, and he came to Richard and said, oh, it's my son, he found me. Like, that is verbatim from what Worsing told me. So that scene, you know, while I dramatized the moment where it happened, it was very accurate to the way it was described
0: to me. You did such a good job. And... You know, another thing that I didn't realize was that Vic Braden passed on them.
1: Well, I mean, all these. You know, Richard was was such a hustler in those years, and he was going around to all these. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, he was famously like collecting balls from the country clubs around L.A. to, you know, to facilitate their practices. But then he was he was constantly just trying to get them into free clinics. Um, so he would take, he would just show up with them at, you know, at coaching clinics that were happening. And, you know, Vic Braden had a, like a famous tennis Academy out here. Um, and you know, he was in touch with Bud Collins and he was just, he, he he was writing and calling everyone that he, that he could get their hands on. And so, you know, people would, would donate time or donate weekends, but no, yeah, no one really would took them on in that capacity until, until he got to Paul and I got to, I, so the first person that I really spoke to in the story was Paul. I, we, Tim and I got a hold of Paul. We had like a, a really fun long conversation early on. He, he's the character.
0: What was his response to the film? Was he, was he pleased with how he was portrayed? Did he think it was to the? Did he think he played it to the to the beat?
1: I haven't spoken to him since okay. the movie came out, but I believe that Tony Goldwyn has. I've heard Tony talk about it, and I think that I think he's happy. I mean, I think that it's you know that I I think what's what we tried to do and I, is that like those coaches aren't wrong you know even though richard has a totally different idea that ends up working like paul is giving them good advice and i think macy is giving them good advice and it maybe it wasn't it ultimately was not what was ended up being successful for venus and serena because richard had different ideas but like that none of those Paul Macy, none of them were like self-serving. I think they really saw the potential in in both of the in both Venus and Serena, and wanted to to do their part. I mean, Paul was, you know, Paul was not making money off of them. He was he was there as a. I think he's he saw raw talent, and he loves he he
0: loves the idea of being involved with a winner. Also, to the point that it's so improbable. That this happened, that this, the Williams sisters came to be, the fact that Richard was arguing with Paul about how how they were hitting open stance on the backhand to push back into the court. It's like how like how could a how could a guy that couldn't play tennis for all for all intents and purposes, you know, have that sort of clear understanding of how he wanted his kids to play?
1: I I don't know. I mean, you know, he, Richard has written and talked a lot about how he where he came up with open stance that you know that he was taking ballroom dancing lessons to try and work on his footwork and that as he was doing that he sort of developed swinging your hips in that in that capacity or says you know that she's the one actually who came up with that idea and and paul i mean you can go back and watch videos of paul from like that he's given over the years talking about how much he didn't want to teach them open open stance and so I, I mean, I play very, very
0: recreationally and I don't know. I think about it all the time now while I'm out there. Let's talk about Macy for a minute. Um, I know that everybody was really over the moon and how he was depicted. He's portrayed as somebody that, you know, essentially got screwed. I think, can you speak to that? Um, he put himself out there in a really immense and intense way and ultimately, he got sort of passed over.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, we don't quite get into. There was once they got down to Macy's in, you know, in the early '90s, and they were there. Ultimately, like cumulatively, they were there for for three or four years. But during that time, Richard also at one point pulled them out, and they went to Voltaire's. Um, Richard would, you know, it's alluded to in the movie, but Richard would hire his own hitting coaches to come and like practice with the girls kind of behind Rick's back. And, you know, I think they have a Rick from, I, I've heard a voicemail that Rick left the producer yesterday and like, you know, Rick and Richard th- had not spoken for 20 years before this movie came out. And now they're like, they're reunited and it's amazing.
0: Rick keeps saying he's my best friend. I said, Rick, how could you be yeah. your best friend? It seems like he really stuck it to you. Like he said, <laughs> And he said, no, no, man, you know, it wasn't like that. And I was like, okay.
1: (laughs) I think they, I think that they are very alike in a way. And I, I don't know the full financial situation of what happened later, but I, I do believe that Rick was, you know, made whole in some way. Oh, is that right? They, 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 Uh, uh, they did something there. I think so. I don't know the details, but I think, I think he, you know, he, he did okay. And Dad. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that um, Richard, in a lot of ways, was – I, I think he really loved Rick, but I also think that he was never going to put Rick's needs des- or, or desires in front of his own.
0: Correct. Um, who vetoed the cigarettes? I mean, Richard Williams, you never saw him without a cigarette. I can't remember what brand he smoked, but I have a very distinct memory – and I've told you this of of seeing him and Vince Spadia's father and Jim Pierce, Mary Pierce's dad, all shooting the shit outside of center court at the Lipton at Key Biscayne and Richard was smoking cigarettes. And then I asked Rick Macy, I said, you know, I said, I, 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 I kind of missed the cigarette in uh, Richard's hand. He said, you know, he used to put them out. We have to clean them up off the clay court. He would put them out right out on the courts.
1: I was so sad that I cut because that that was in the first, you know, drafts of the script that he was never in a scene without smoking a cigarette. And now I'm forgetting what he smoked. He smoked menthols and essentially we weren't, you can't, it's really strict. You can't have smoking in a, in like a PG-13 movie. It's, it's crazy the the, the way the ratings work because you can, you know, you can decapitate someone, but you can't have two people like have sex or you can't have them smoking. It's all screwed up. But yeah, the, the, because <laughs> it, it really led to the end of the movie. Like, you know, where, where Richard is watching Venus play that her match against Vicario, he, you know, he was like, we have it depicted. He was not in the stands, but in reality, he was watching, he was chain smoking with the like broad, you know, the the broadcaster he was watching on like a little closed circuit TV. And so that's how it was in the original part of the script. And we, we had to cut it all. That was sad.
0: Well, also, you know, to me, the, the cigarette it also helps reinforce the fact that this guy could never. Like, he's as far removed from from, from building a pro athlete that he's yeah. chain smokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then yeah. it's just
1: so, like I mean, it's, it's so antithetical to being in a, you know, at a tennis tournament. It's like, I love that about Richard that he, because Rick told us this too, that like the way Rick got in touch with, with Richard again after 20 years is that he reached out to this janitor that that he knew Richard was friends with back in the day that Rick had that guy's number and said, are you still, are you in touch with Richard? He's like, yeah, I talked to him all the time. And that guy gave Rick Richard's number and that's how they connected. But that, you know, Richard, he was obviously a very wealthy man at that point. He had, you know, he was rubbing shoulders with these celebrities, but he would much rather hang with like the grounds crew at the, at the tournaments. What was it like being on set? It was really exciting. I mean, obviously the experience of just seeing the script come come to life in that way was, yeah, it was exhilarating. It was also, it was was rare. I don't think that a writer in my position is usually included on set all the time like that. But because I had become close with the family and because I had done all the research, you know, I think I, I had carved out a necessary role. And then I became, you know, I got had gotten really close with Ray, the director, and it was amazing. And there was also this huge tennis perk component of it because we were shooting it. You know, ninety percent of the movie was at a tennis court somewhere, and we had this great tennis coach,
0: the ex-player named Eric Tano. Yeah, you had Eric Tano out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Eric Tano, uh, I think, all American, great, great player. He yeah, was he, your He was your tennis consultant.
1: Yeah, he was basically like the tennis teacher for Damien Sanaya, the actresses who played Venus and Serena. And then, then he also became basically like functioned as our like stunt coordinator. So he helped craft the tennis points, but he, and he was out there every day. And then, so I brought my racket to set every day and would just, when Eric was trying to go to lunch, I would be like, no, no, you have to stay out here for the movie. So, and hit with me for half an hour.
0: Did you work? Did you, did you get better?
1: I got a lot. You know, Eric is so, You know, when you play with anyone who's so much better than you and, you know, he he coaches. So he he'll put the ball right in front of you right where and and then you feel like you're you're amazing. I got a lot better playing for the movie because I ended up getting to play with Tim a lot just because if Tim needed a script meeting, I would say, okay, I'll do it. But you have to it has to be on the court and you have to hit with me for an hour. That's a great
0: experience. So every time you get a chance to play up is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I've gotten worse since after the movie. I I watched the behind the scenes and is Will a method actor? Did he stay in character throughout the entire like time you guys were shooting?
1: He wasn't a method actor. We had to call him Richard Williams offset and stuff, but he, he was, he was when the cameras turned off, he was Will Smith, but he would talk in that accent constantly, and I think it was just a way for him to you know to make sure he was locked in all the time and um you know he but you would go and talk to him in his trailer about you know notes on the script or something, and you were he was affable he was you know the guy who you think will Smith is, but a lot of times he would just keep talking in that accent, and it was pretty it was. It was, but bo- I mean, it was really impressive. It was also like hilarious. What has your contact been with Serena? Not a ton, you know. Uh, that Serena came to set once. Um, you know, we we hung out a little bit at the at the premiere, but I spent a lot more time with Venus. Um, and so uh, Ray, the director, and myself and Tim, the producer, went down to uh, to Florida and spent like a weekend down there going over the script with her and and scene, and then we were just in touch a lot more about, no. I mean, part of that is just, you know, she's a, the movie is much more about her than it is about Serena. And she's awesome though. I, we were, like very much enjoyed time with her. She would, she never agreed to hit with me, but um, beyond that, it was great.
0: <laughs> Let's move into the third set. This is the portion of our show. We talk about your career. Where does your writing career begin?
1: It really got finally going uh, in New York. I, after college, I started working in film production. So I, I worked on set, building sets, and doing props in a lot of different shows. Like, you know, I worked on, I did like three seasons of Gossip Girl on a prop truck. And I was writing that whole time.
0: My man, explain to our listeners what that means that you were doing. You were, you were on a prop truck. What does that mean? That's like, that's like you're working with your hands. You're like lugging stuff. Yeah. I mean, well, sometimes
1: I would, sometimes I would build sets. So I was doing, you know, I I would, we would go and physically like do carpentry and put up, put up walls or I would, you would tile floors of what became a bathroom on a movie. Um, You know, so it was, like yeah labor in that way and then uh props or like any you know anything that a character holds in a movie um or a tv show so on boardwalk empire that would be you know the guns and the cigarettes and if they're eating a meal we have to make the meal and that you're constantly you know you're doing multiple takes so then you have to you're also responsible for continuity on set so if a if they're eating a meal and someone drinks out of their wine and then, you know, the wine level needs to stay the same in every take that we have to come in and fill the wine glass up. Um, so it was cool, but it was not what I really wanted to do. Um, so I was writing all the time in the the prop truck, you know, was where we keep all the props. And I would sit in there. I would go hide in there and sit and write. And then and I eventually sold a television show to TNT, that common became attached to and that was about tennis actually and so that was like I'd done a lot of research into like I'm a big Federer fan so I'd done a lot of research into Federer and I wrote basically like a fictionalized version of him into this tv show
0: and that show did not get made
1: it didn't get made but TNT bought it and that sort of opened a lot of doors for me as a you know to to begin to be known as a writer and to get meetings with other people and and jobs started coming my way. So, you know, for, between that, that script selling and when I met Tim and started talking about King Richard, you know, that was probably five or six years where I'd been working and had movies that, and TV shows that had sold and felt like they were going to get made. But then, you know, it's a, It's amazing that any movie gets made.
0: You were like a matriculating member of the, of the group of writers. You were starting to, you were, you were a working writer. People don't understand though, that you can be a working writer and it takes, it's very impossible to get a, get a project made. Exactly. That, you know, I think for at least a certain amount of
1: time, you can probably, you can be a working writer and not have something made. But I think at some point it if you don't cross that threshold, you become harder to be to to get hired. but yeah the the amount of stars that need to align for any show or movie to get made are just it's it's unbelievable, which is why a lot of bad movies get made because if you if you have an actor who is available and and there's financing behind a movie idea, even if the script isn't necessarily a hundred percent then they're saying like we're never going to get this window where you know where brad pitt wants to shoot a western right now and you know we have the script it kind of sucks but we're he'll do it and i think things things kind of
0: get forced out in that way well listen my man the fact that you made a movie about tennis about the williams sisters that got nominated for best picture that you got nominated for best screenplay is one of the Greatest things that's ever happened to anybody I ever knew. I mean, it is just incredible. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't believe it. Listen, man, I gotta tell you, I know you played football. You don't have a lot of size. You gotta tell how did you end up? How did you end up playing college football?
1: I was fast, and I could catch. That was my. I was like a, you know, I was like a Wes Welker type. John Hopkins. I went to Johns Hopkins. I played football and I, and I played baseball there for a year. And yeah, I was just, you know, I was fast. I was like a good route runner. I had a great coach, this guy, Chris Oganowski, who was, who went on and coached he, like helped Chip Kelly a bit with the Eagles. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know. I loved it, man. It wasn't, and I it was a small, it was a D3 school. So I wasn't, I wasn't out there against monsters. Are you are you a Maryland person? No, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, um, so not too far from Baltimore. But then I had a lot of family that also lived in Baltimore and had and had gone to Hopkins. So it was there was some family connection there. I grew up going to a lot of Orioles games. So you went to Johns Hopkins on a football scholarship? Not a scholarship because it's D three, um, but I went there. You know, in part to play football. And did you study writing there? Yeah, I studied creative writing and I studied film. I was a film major there. And then I I left and I did, I took a semester and I went to NYU. I went to Tisch um, in the middle of of my time at Hopkins to get a little more hands-on, like actual film making experience.
0: And I read that you would buy the scripts on the street For our listeners, in New York City, you can buy, like, scripts of, you know, Goodfellas or uh, Casablanca, or, and I read, I read, I I listened to an interview you did when I was getting ready for this interview, and you said that you would buy those scripts and and really study them.
1: Yeah, so, you know, basically, you know, pre-internet, I guess it wasn't totally pre-internet, but, but that... You know, now that you can go online, you can type in King Richard and you can find the script for King Richard and you can read it. But back then, you know, those archives didn't really exist. And so one of the ways, only ways that you could get scripts were that people bootlegged them and sold them on the street in New York. And so you would go, like, there would be the guy selling sunglasses, and then there would be a table next to him in Washington Square Park where someone had the script for Goodfellas. And I, you know, I would go up there and I'd buy a bunch of them and then, Take them back to Baltimore and read them, and yeah,
0: that helped inform your style. To help inform, inform your being attracted to the to the form, right? Yeah, like you could you, be, you could be a writer. You could write books. You could write magazine articles. To be a screenwriter is a special thing. It's a different thing.
1: Yeah, it's different. I, I always knew I you know my interest in writing was really specific to screenwriting, even from bef- before that. But I it was it was really informative to just see how a movie translates or, you know, to actually look backwards and say, okay, how does, you know, how how does a writer actually depict on the page how a camera moves or how, you know, how one scene gets cut into the next, because it's, it's not intuitive all the time and you're not really supposed to, there's a lot of rules kind of, but you're not really supposed to tell the director what the camera movement is, but there are ways to imply how you think a, a a scene should should be shot and and it's kind of a it's a delicate trick in writing cuz you don't want to you don't want to tell the director how to do their job but you also you know you sort of do and
0: now it was announced in all the in all the rags that you're writing the third edition of the creed the apollo creed creed 3 creed yep. 3 michael b jordan are you in the middle of that
1: that's shooting right now okay. in um in atlanta and yeah it's creed 3 and michael is you know starring as adonis again but he's michael's also directing the movie so it should be it should be cool it's a like uh obviously they've what they did is kind of reinventing that franchise I
0: mean, everyone loves rocky everyone yeah loves rocky
1: And Ryan Coogler, who, you know, Ryan created Creed, but Ryan went on to direct Black Panther and he's just a real genius. And um, yeah, that's gonna be a good movie. It's
0: gonna be a good one. Let's move into the fourth set. This is the 10 ball scramble. I say it, you just say what comes in your mind. We go quick, okay? All right. Writer's block. I don't really get it. I just keep working. Your favorite movie. Mm,
1: Maybe Boogie Nights. Your favorite script. Michael Clayton. Why? It's just the writing of it, it just flies off the page and it's like you don't really get to see a character who's really that morally complicated, but uh, but it still gets to be a hero in the movie. Your favorite book? Um, Young Bloodhawk. Tell us about Young Bloodhawk. Young Bloodhawk is a Herman Wook book about a... Writer who moves out to Hollywood and gets corrupted. Will Smith, exactly who you think he is. hugely generous, huge personality, extremely charismatic, and like hugely uh, a
0: enormously hard worker. Where are you watching the Super Bowl? I'm actually I'm going to it. So I mean, membership yeah. has it. I mean, you're in now, baby. I'm going to the Super I've, Bowl. I've, I know I'm very, very lucky. The,
1: <laughs> uh, Warner Brothers gave the director an eye ticket. So, who wins that game?
0: The Rams. Favorite tennis player growing up? Agassi. Favorite player now? Federer. Yeah, you already said it. Is there anybody else you like to see now? Roger's just about taking his last turns around the sun. Is there anyone else you you enjoy play, watching?
1: Um, I mean, it was really exciting to watch Nadal win that win that tournament um i like i'll
0: pronounce her on dominique uh theme is that a team dominic team team yeah Um, like dominic team he's hurt uh your current racket what are you playing with
1: i have a wilson blade what color is that one the green with the black yeah i i just got a new one because i i smashed my racket the other day i'd never done it before but (laughs) stupid
0: smash your racket
1: yeah I was playing, I I was screwing up, and I I threw it against the fence, and it broke.
0: Uh, size of your grip? I don't even know, actually, to be honest. You got to know that, man. Next time, right. you can't be on the show and not know the size yeah. of your grip.
1: I know. <laughs> it's pathetic. That's where I get lost. I get I I have a tennis person. I got Eric Tano to like tell me what my string tension needed to be and everything. So I just go to this place and I. And I bring my racket and I say, whatever Eric says I should get, put it in there.
0: My man, you're like one of the top guys in tennis right now. (laughs) You don't even know what's going on with your racket. I know. I got to get out with you. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move into the fifth and final set. This is the king of the court. If you could be the king of tennis and make a change in the sport with just a swing of the racket, no aggravation, what would it be? Hmm. I mean you can like it the way it is
1: yeah i'm pretty happy i really you know i can watch a five and a half hour match and feel pretty you know pretty gripped to it the whole time i have a lot of problems with my game that we can talk about but
0: <laughs> listen um like i said earlier what a thrill to you know it's it's so amazing what has just transpired now do you own your tux or you uh do you what's happened? You're gonna, you to you got to buy like a like a like a three thousand dollar Zania tuxedo. Like, what are you going to do for the night of the Oscars now? What's the plan?
1: I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I do not own a tux. A guy that I played tennis with the other day offered to lend me his, and he's like, do are tails still in?" And I was like, "I oh, don't. I think I'll be figuring something else out." I don't know. We we have a Kate, Kate my wife, and I have a friend who's a stylist who's going to help us out. So,
0: my man, this is just the most exciting thing of all time. Zach Balin, the screenwriter of King Richard. For everyone who hasn't seen it, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, I know you're going to watch it now. So I know that, that the movie is no longer on HBO Max. Where can the film be seen?
1: You can find King Richard anywhere where you rent movies on Apple's Apple, iTunes, Amazon Prime, anywhere like that. I believe that HBO may bring it back for like a limited window Um, So we're hoping it'll be back on HBO Max and also back in theaters for for a little bit.
0: Zach Balin, uh, we have to get on the court. I know. Post-haste. Please say hello to your uh, lovely wife and you are released.
1: Thank you, man. This was a a blast. Thanks for having me.
0: Huge thank you to Zach Balin and best of luck at the Oscars. Thank you to Sergio Tacchini. See them at sergiotacchini.com use my code SHAP30 at checkout to receive 30% off of your order. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then I'm Craig Shapiro and you are released.